I enjoyed last week so much. We talked about faith and patience. Patience being the running mate to our faith, seeing us through to the finish line. And, and it was just some revelation in there for me that I needed. That in order for me to have patience uh, in my walk of faith, I needed to be practicing patience in every area of my walk. With my husband, with my children, with my co-workers, patients across the board. And so I've enjoyed getting many opportunities to practice that in the last week. What about y'all? Uh, it, it was good for me. So we've just been hitting kind of little problem areas in the faith walk, things that, that I think might be misconceptions or things that where I feel like we need some strength in in our faith walk. So tonight, uh, I, I want to talk to us about I know we put a huge emphasis, as we should, on Romans 10, 17. That faith comes by hearing, and the ability to hear comes from the Word of God. We love that passage around here. We use it a lot. We, we say, listen to the Word, hear the Word, see the Word, read the Word, speak the Word, hear the Word. We put a big emphasis there, and we should. But one thing I think that we miss sometimes is that it takes more than hearing the word. Faith, the opportunity to believe comes when we hear the word. Then comes a choice to believe. And you can't have a choice to believe until you hear. So the hearing's important. But I sometimes I'll approach somebody, they're going through something, and they're they're coming to me and they're going, I don't understand why my faith's not working. I'm like, well faith works. Okay? Faith works. And they'll say, I'm I'm hearing the word. I mean, that's all I'm listening to. Well, just hearing the word, the scripture says we also have to be doers of the word. And if we're, we're hearers of the word only and we're not doers of the word, we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves. It's like, hey, I'm hearing the word, I'm hearing the word. But there there is a... And obedience that comes after we've heard the word to do what the word said or to activate that word in our life, to put it into work in our life. And, and that's really what I want to emphasize tonight. So go with me to Mark 6 and we'll see how far we get and just know we're probably not going to finish uh, tonight. But we got a great lesson from the kids tonight. We could have just said amen and gone home, couldn't we? Mark chapter 6. I'm reading it out of the New King James Version, starting in verse 1. Then he went out from there, this is Jesus, and came to his own country, his own neighborhood, so to speak, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many, hearing him, were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which, he, which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? So they're hearing Jesus. He's teaching what comes. Faith. Faith comes. Faith is made available to them. They have access to faith because they heard Jesus. He's teaching them. They have an opportunity to believe. In fact, they, they're infatuated with him. They're like, man, the way he teaches, this is something different. And look at the miracles that are happening. But then there's this turnaround. There's this sudden turnaround in this passage. Look at verse 3. 
Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? So here they're talking about his miraculous, miraculous teachings and works. And then they have this turnaround. They start talking themselves out of faith. Literally talking them, using their words, talking themselves out of the faith that had just come to them. So they're like, hey, don't we know his brothers? Don't we know his sisters? Aren't they here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and among his own relatives and in his own house. That's a tough saying. We'll, t we'll cover that another time. But sometimes when you're called of God, it is your own people that doubt you the most. That's why you have to have your confidence in the call of God. Verse 5. This is where we're going. Now he could do no mighty work there. What? Are we talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God? He, he could not do any mighty work there. That'll, that'll bust out a whole lot of religious theology that God can do what he wants to do. No, he needs you to have faith. It says he could do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled. Because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages teaching. So the way he combated unbelief was by teaching. Right? He gave them more teaching. And this is, this is just a shocking passage in so many ways for the religious mind. I don't mean the, the Christian mind who's studying the word, but religious cliches. It just blows a lot of them right out of the water. There he could do no mighty work. He marveled because of their unbelief. See, they heard him teach, so faith came. But they got offended because they talked to themselves out of who he was and what he could do because they knew him. That's Mary's son, the carpenter. We know his brothers. We know his sisters. They sit there and literally talk to themselves out of faith. What is this a lesson to me? When faith comes, I need to shut my mouth and not talk myself out of what I just heard that built faith in me. If you hear that God's a provider, and you see that in the Scripture, then stop talking yourself out of what God just revealed to you about Himself. If you're believing God for healing in your body or for somebody else uh, that you love in, in their bodies, because our faith is not just for us, it's to be used for other people, then don't talk yourself out of the faith that was just offered to you. Because he called that unbelief. And I found that word fascinating. Instead of taking faith, they took offense. They had the opportunity for faith, but they took offense. They chose unbelief. There's one thing to be ignorant of what the word says. It's another thing to have unbelief. And for me, that word stood out tonight, John. Unbelief. This wasn't a lack of faith like they hadn't heard yet. This was unbelief. Like there was belief and they undid it. I'm not educated, y'all. I do not have an English degree. It just is what it is. I'm just a student of the word. They undid it. They unbelieved it. They chose to unbelieve it. 
Because they were infatuated with how, the wisdom he was teaching and where did this come from and his marvelous works. And then they unbelieved it. And Jesus marveled at that. He was like bewildered that they could hear and believe and be infatuated with and then unbelieve. This is a lesson for us. Unbelief is not just being ignorant of the word. It's a choice to unbelieve the faith that was offered to you. Y'all didn't get near excited about that as me, but I, that just stood out to me today. Go with me to Hebrews 4. We'll get as many scriptures in as we can. We use a lot of scriptures on Wednesday nights. Um, we're just students of the word on Wednesday nights. And I am thankful that you enjoy to study. Now in Hebrews 4, in Hebrews 3 up above, they've just had this big discussion about the people who died in the wilderness uh, under Moses. Remember when Moses was leading the children of Israel through the wilderness, headed to the promised land. God's promised them a land that flows with milk and honey, and they're out there wandering around in the wilderness. And it should have been a short trip, ended up being a long trip. And some of them died in the wilderness. And never got to see the promised land. The ones who did not enter into the promised land, it was because of their unbelief. It says that right, right at the last verse, I think, of chapter 3. It was because of their unbelief. They had seen God split a sea where millions of people could walk across it on dry land. They had seen manna come from heaven Fresh quail flown in, Todd. They had seen water come out of a rock to water the people and the animals. They had, they had been delivered from Pharaoh. Right? Moses would, re, would release the plagues, the, I mean the frogs, the flies. You know the story. They had seen all these miraculous things. They had to unbelieve. They had to unbelieve believe they had seen they had experienced they had eaten the manna they had partaken of the goodness of God they had to unbelieve and you know how they did it this is not in my notes but I'm going to go there they would get offended at leadership they they would start complaining instead of being thankful they talked themselves out of believing in the goodness of God. I mean, you can, you can come up with more things on that list, I'm sure. They unbelieved. So in verse 1 of chapter 4, I better get there, hadn't I? It says, that's, this is the rest that he's talking about, that rest that they were to go into in the, in the promised land that, that is a type of the life that God, that Jesus provided for you. It says, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us be careful that none of you be found to, be, to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. Oh, it's fixing to get personal. This isn't just about them. It's about us. Just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them. King James Version says it didn't profit them. Because those who heard did not combine it with faith. 
They didn't choose it. They didn't choose to believe it. Faith comes when you hear the word, James. But then you choose it. You choose to speak it. You choose to keep it at the forefront of your mind. You choose to think it. You choose to meditate on it. And, and they chose otherwise. They unbelieved. Because faith came, but they, they, I'm sorry, the word came, but they didn't combine it with faith. The King James Version says they didn't mix it with faith. It's not what they chose. They heard it, but what they heard was not what they chose. You see what I'm saying? It's more than Romans 10, 17, just hearing the word. It's choosing what you've heard. That's mixing it with faith. It's in the choosing. Thayer's Greek lexicon said this. He said it's because the hearers had not let it find its way into their minds and make it their own. They didn't own what they heard. They didn't take it personal. And until you take the word personal and own it, that it's for you, you're not going to walk in faith in it. You can't, you'll give up on it. First thing that looks like it's not working, you're, you're throwing it out the window. We've got to own what he says in his word. You know, if he says you're saved when you confess Jesus is Lord, then on the morning that you wake up and you don't feel saved, you go back to his word. Because there's mornings I wake up and I don't necessarily feel like a great Christian. Thank you, you religious ones. I mean, there's just days that you don't, you wonder, did that take? But faith says, it doesn't matter how I feel. My, it doesn't matter what I'm thinking. I bring my thoughts captive, what we've been studying on Sundays. I bring my thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. The word said, those that call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be. If I confess Jesus as Lord, I believe that he died for me and that God raised him from the dead. I am saved. So on the days I don't feel saved, I'm still saved. I'm still saved. And it goes that way with anything that God says about you in the word. You've got to make it your own. I love that. If you're going to walk in faith, and if it's going to be faith and not just you hearing the word, then you've got to make it your own. It becomes your identity. The word becomes your identity. Barnes' commentary said this. He said, what they heard exerted no influence over their hearts and lives. And they lived and died as though no such promise had been made. They lived like no promise had been made. They lived and died like no promise had been made. We're to live like a promise has been made. It's supposed to influence. I like that word influence there. It's supposed to exert influence over my life, what I believe. Because that's how it affects my life. It's not going to change if it doesn't exert an influence on my life. Jameson Fawcett Brown said this. Oh, this was so good. He said, hearing alone is of the same value as undigested food. Boom. I don't even know what else to say after that. 
Hearing alone is of the same value as undigested food. It does, does no good. It exists. But hearing the word alone is of the same value as undigested food. And then I got real tickled at myself because I said, you know how you digest food? You choose it. I know, I've had puns all week. I've tortured the kitchen crew with puns over the snacks. Every day I've had a pun for their, they were cutting the cheese one day. Just saying. I don't remember what I said today. Oh, today they were rolling in the dough. That's right, Lindsay was rolling in the dough. Uh, So I've had a punny week, so just stick with me. But yes, how true is that? How do you digest food? You choose it. How are we going to digest the word where it actually has an effect on our lives? You're going to choose it. You're going to choose it when you feel like choosing it. You're going to choose it when you don't feel like choosing it. Is the word Lord or not? Jesus is the word, right? Scripture tells us that. He is the word. And and, and we, we let him be the Lord of our life. We choose the word. And, you know, meditate has become a... I don't know, a new age word. It's not a new age word. It was God's word. The devil always takes God's stuff and messes it up. But meditate's a huge word. And I'm not talking about being in the yoga position, okay? But but the truth is there. We are supposed to meditate his word. Joshua 1.8 says we're to meditate his word day and night. He said that's how we were going to have success. Which means our mind leans towards his word all the time. We choose to think it. We choose it. And so I wanted to give you a couple of scriptures for your notes, for your study, that talk about meditating the word, okay? You can just put these in your notes. Joshua 1.8 is a big one. That's one of our favorites around here. It was my dad's favorite scripture in the whole Bible. Joshua 1.8. It's how Joshua succeeded. Psalm 77.12. Psalm 119.15, Psalm 119.148, and 1 Timothy 4.13-16. Those all talk about meditating on God's Word. If you're going to digest God's Word, you can't just hear it once. You need to think about it. That's what the word meditate means. It means to ponder to roll it around in your mind. It means to mutter it. So when you you hear the word, that's great. Faith presents itself. But if you want to digest that word, then start studying it. Start talking about it with somebody. Start saying it. Start thinking about it. Start, if you're in Arkansas, we ponder things. If you are from out of state, I don't know if y'all ponder where you're from. But we ponder things. We roll it over in our mind. We think about it. We look at it inside and outside. Take that scripture apart. Look at what the words mean. That's meditating the word, and that will move it from just hearing it to digesting it. Then it becomes yours. Then you have understanding of it, and you know how to apply it. So one of the ways that we mix faith with what we've heard is meditation. Oh, man. I always feel like I'm running a marathon on Wednesday nights. 
we don't want faith to just come. We don't want faith to just be available. We want to develop it. We want to grow it. And we want it to produce, not just for ourselves. I want to get to the point that when, when you need me to pray, my faith is ready. When somebody in your, your family or your group needs you to pray, your faith is developed and your faith is ready. That you already have scripture established in your heart. That's a foundation for your faith. When I started looking at how when we start mixing faith with the word, how it grows. I mean, obviously the parable of the sower comes to mind in Mark 4. The sower sows the word. Right, the seed, the word. The sower sows the word. And there's this whole progression that goes on there and things that steal the word and hinder the word from producing. We'll look at that at another time. But Mark 4 is a great study for that. But go with me to Mark 4, verse 35. Because Jesus, well, I'm going to say the Scripture labels faith at different levels. This is important to understand. It's important to look at. I don't know how much we'll get to look at it tonight, but we just read uh, in chapter 6 that they, they, they didn't have any faith. They were in unbelief. They had unned their belief. They were in unbelief. So it, it couldn't produce anything. When Mark 4, verse 35, I'm not going to read the passage, okay? I just want you to see it, mark it in your Bible. But for lack of time, Jesus is in the boat with his disciples, and a big storm blows in. And if you've ever been in a boat in a storm, uh, it's scary. Uh, Stephen, you can remind my husband that I brought this up tonight. Okay, Just send him a text tonight. He's at work. Send him a text. Say, Susan brought up the boat story. He'll start sweating immediately. Uh, I, know, I know who his friends are, and they will tell on me. But Rusty took me out in the boat one day, and you could tell a storm was coming. And I was like, babe, I'm, I'm not feeling this. <laughs> I, I don't think this is a good idea. And he said, oh, we'll just go over here. We'll go in this little cove, you know, Lindsay, where the, the waves are not as bad. And fish. Because once he gets fish on the brain, it's like all wisdom. Just pew. Well, buddy, we get in the cove and the storm hit. We watched another guy sink in his boat. The waves were so big. That they, and then Rusty had to call for help. We couldn't even get the boat loaded. We couldn't even get it on the trailer. He'll never do it again. After my daughter got through with him, he'll never do it again. <laughs> Not with me in the boat. So, you know, when a storm blows in, it gets your attention. These guys are out in the boat, but Jesus is asleep in the boat. During the storm, he's asleep in the boat. He's so chill. And the disciples panic. And I think what gets me most about this story, this account, let me see if I can find what verse it is. Y'all might can beat me there since you're already there. Where they question his character. Thirty-eight. Jesus, verse thirty-eight. He was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow and they woke him up and they said, Master, do you not care that we're dying? That hit me today. 
when he, when he talks to these guys, he gets up, he, he speaks peace to the wind, rebukes the wind, speaks peace, a great calm comes. And in verse 40, he says, why are you so fearful? They weren't faithful, they were fearful. How is it that you have no faith? And as I was studying this and thinking, God, what do you want us to get out of this example of no faith? Because I don't want to be the person with no, no faith. These guys have traveled with him. They've watched him do miracles. They've heard him teach. The opportunity for faith has been there right in front of them. And in this moment, they have no faith. There's nothing there. And so I went back and I was like, God, what do I need to learn from this? And what he showed me, he took me back up to that verse where they said, don't you care? And what he ministered to me, you can get other things out of it and take notes because I want to hear about it next week. If you question the character of God, there is no way to have faith in God. No way. And this is where a lot of the Christian world lives. They do not know what God will do and what he won't do. If you can get John 10.10 down, Pat, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have life more abundantly. Right? If we can get it through our heads that what that God's word is his will, well, I just don't know what the will of God is, well, then you need to know what the word of God says. Because if you know what the word of God says, you know what God's will is. Because if he put it in his will, and yet it's not true to him, then he's a liar. If our word is not good, we're liars. If he said it in his word, he meant to say it in his word. And so when we question his character, there is no way to have faith. Because you don't know what God will do. So we gotta, we've got to get it settled in our minds. Who is God? If we want to have faith, who is God? And sometimes we have to get past our own stories. Okay, if there is a God, how come this happened to me? Right? If God is a loving God, how come he allowed the religious world to say, well, he didn't do it, he just allowed it. Well, let me tell you, if somebody's attacking Ken and I'm standing here, I know I give him a hard time, but I love him. I've known him since I was a little girl. I like to make him feel old. That's why I say that every time. <laughs> He's my boss. He's on the board. But I, I care for him. Our families have been close. And if somebody comes after Ken, I might be smaller than them. But I'm not going to allow that to happen. What makes us think... If God could, 
stop it, that he wouldn't stop it. And, and, man, this is definitely not in the notes, but let's go there, okay? This all goes back to Genesis. God gave authority to man. Man bowed his knee to Satan, a cursed God. Now we have mankind, the crowning jewel of God, his children, living in a cursed earth with a little g cursed God. The scripture calls Satan the God of this world. So now if man doesn't stop it, y'all have any rocks, do you? If man doesn't stop it by his God-given authority, can God stop it? Would God stop it? Is he going to take back his word from Genesis? Is he going to take back control? Oh, God's in control. Is he? In the, in the big picture of things, he is. But he looked at Adam and Eve and he said, Here's the garden. I'm putting you in it. You hedge it about. You work it. Did you say something good I need to know? Conquer and subdue it. I'm like, if you're going to say it, I want to hear what it is because I want to learn. Conquer and subdue You. Did God let Satan in the garden? Did he allow it? Boy, we're getting into some stuff, aren't we? Yes. I'm sure God was well aware when that snake rolled into town. But he had given the earth to man. The heavens are the Lord's, the scripture says, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. So if you got raped, molested, hurt, it grieved the heart of the Father God that man would allow such things. He's your healer when you let him heal you. But he's not going to force it on you. If we don't understand the character of God, we can't have faith in God. I want you to know God is good. He is good. He is sovereign. And in his sovereignty, he gave man the earth. My dad used to call it the earthlies until time is up. And then Jesus comes in and rules and reigns with a rod of iron. But right now, he's not ruling and reigning with a rod of iron. Christians are supposed to be hedging about the earth, subduing it, protecting, guarding the innocent, taking care of children, praying over our schools instead of complaining about our schools, serving on the school boards instead of griping about the school boards, running for political office instead of just watching Fox News till they're fuming out the ears. It's your garden. It's your garden. It's your home. It's your family. It's your children. That is nowhere in my notes. 
We, we can't question his character and walk in faith. We have got to get it settled. God is good. And whatever you've been through, don't let your story take you into unbelieving. Oh, she, I see in the Bible that God is love, but this happened to me and how could God? No, you had the opportunity for faith and you just let your story talk you into unbelieving that God is good. I don't want to be in unbelief. I want to be in faith. I want to be faithful. And you know what? I think I'm going to stop right there tonight. We could go into little faith, producing faith, great faith, and we might next week. We've got to know the character of God. We've got to know who he is if we're going to have faith in him. I, I know Cherie. I've known Cherie for how many years? About 18 years. I have faith in Cherie because I know Cherie. Some of you I met for the first time tonight. I might want to believe in you, but I don't know you well enough. To bank on you, so to speak. There's people in here I've known for... Oh, where's Karen Wilkins? Ooh. 50 years? Probably 50 years? She, she can have my credit card, my checkbook, my children. I mean, I'm trying to say I trust you. Don't let me down here. Don't put me in unbelief. She and Tom, they've known me since I was five. We follow each other from town to town. We move, they move. We follow each other. We've been through life, death, ups, downs. I've watched the Wilkins day in and day out. I've watched them overcome. I've watched them rely on the word. I have faith in them. I want that in God. But I can tell you the character of these people. And that is where the faith comes from. Getting to know and building that faith in. God wants you to believe in him where you can't talk yourself into unbelieving what he said in his word. He's got it for you. Everything, everything that pertains to life and godliness, the scripture says, he's provided for you. We need to believe. Amen? Y'all can stand. I told you I was going to get you out of here at 8. I know we're not, not going to talk tonight. It's VBS week. Take your notes from tonight. Let's bring them back next week. And we'll, we will go over this week's. If y'all had any comments or anything to add to it, I really want to hear it. Tonight we're going to let the cooks go home. All right, let the cooks go home and the workers go home and get some rest. They'll be ready for Thursday, VBS. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your character. We thank you for your, for your desire to know us and our desire to know you, that you want to be known, <laughs> that, that yes, you, you hid some things from the the people in the Old Testament so that you could bring Jesus into the earth and so that he wouldn't be killed before he needed uh, to give up his life. 
But Father, you desire for us to seek you out, to find you and to know you, to trust you. So Father, if we've misread you, we repent. We want to know you on a level that unbelief is not an option for us. That if somebody tells us a lie about God, if they say that you put things on people out of anger or, or to teach them something, and, and we can't find that in your word, Father, that that, we, that that lie against you will not bring us into unbelief because we know who, who you are, that you are love and you are good. And Father, we just thank you that you desire that relationship with us. That is precious to us. We won't let the past dictate our future relationship with you. We'll see you for who you really are. We thank you that lives will be changed because of it. There will be a letting go of anger towards you so that they can believe. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen.